Uh, Jonah chapter 3, good to see all of you here. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. If you're joining us online, glad you can be with us as well. Starting with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Even the animals are getting in on this, whether they like it or not, right? Uh, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every man turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from bringing the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this evening. Lord, we're amazed at what you did in this story. And what you did in Nineveh, we pray that you would do in Richmond and in our state and in our nation. Lord, we need an outpouring of repentance and revival. Lord, we pray that we would see the power of your word tonight, the power of your gospel, the power of the message, uh, but certainly not the messenger. Lord, I'm as uh, frail and uh, flawed as Jonah ever thought of being, Lord, but your message is perfect and powerful. And all of us, Lord, we bring nothing to the table, but Lord, your word can move hearts, can shatter hard hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you just speak to us tonight, draw us closer to you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Now, we left off uh, with chapter 2, verse 10. Look at verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You don't really get to hear the word vomit when you come to church, but when you read this one verse, you will get, there's actually other places too. Jesus said uh, in Revelation the same thing. Uh, for the lukewarm church. But we left off with chapter 2, verse 10, with Jonah getting a special delivery, unlike any the world has ever seen. Jonah got, God uh, used a great whale or a fish or something to taxi Jonah. This was free travel he got, right? Didn't have to book the flight, didn't have to book the, 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 the ship ride or whatever it was uh, to be regurgitated onto the beach. Uh, somewhere along the Israeli and Lebanon coast. We don't know exactly where he was deposited, but it was somewhere there on that, probably that uh, northern coast of Israel uh, towards Lebanon. Let that encourage you tonight. You might have, um, you know, thinking about what Jonah's gone through, uh, this is after three agonizing days, and that's an understatement, 
what felt like a form of hell and darkness. He said it, it felt like the belly of Sheol. Three agonizing days in the belly of a fish. Um, he cried out for mercy. And just kind of going back, a little micro-review of chapter 2. He cried out for mercy. He's looking up to God. Remember, in darkness. He can't see anything, but he's looking up to God with repentance, with worship, and with thanksgiving. And he found what? He found grace. He found mercy. Personally, he did. Before it went to Nineveh, he found grace. He found mercy. And isn't that true of us? We need to find it personally before we can express it to others. We have to find the life jacket before we can start passing the life jackets out to everyone else. But it was given anew to him, a, a new refreshing of God's grace. And somewhere between um, the 10th verse of the second chapter and the first verse, Jonah is reconciled to God. Recommissioned, if you will. And again, that should encourage you and I tonight. You might have blown it. Anyone here blown it lately? You might have blown it, but God wants to renew you. He wants to reuse you. He wants to resend you. And the thing is, though, you're going to have to be willing. I'm going to have to be willing, just like Jonah. It's going to have to be on his terms. He will resend us, but it's going to have to be on his terms. But Jonah was now ready. He was now willing. If you're taking notes, you see from the screen tonight's message, simply preach what God proclaims. Simply preach what God proclaims. No fancy title to this. I just, Lord, this is pretty, this is pretty straightforward. And the first thing we want to take a look at this evening is um, what I have titled. I've got four points tonight. I don't know what. I'm supposed to remind you. Prayer 6 a.m. on Friday. Oh. It's a commercial interruption for those of you online. We have a prayer meeting 6 a.m. If you can't be here on site, do uh, join us wherever you may be, 6 a.m. And then uh, that Sunday, I want to remind you, uh, this is another commercial interruption. Uh, this Sunday, we have, I forgot I put this in here, but uh, it, when we don't know worship, it just messed the whole thing up, you know, but uh, I'm used to the worship set. And, uh, but this Sunday, Hebrews chapter 7, so I hope you'll be there, and let's get back to, here we go. Commercial is over for those of you online, uh, Friday or Sunday join us. Anyway, back to our study. Um, first thing I want to take a look at, uh, these simple instructions that Jonah is given. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach, it, preach to it the message that I will tell you. Typically, 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 the instructions of the Lord, read the Bible, are very simple. Typically, they're very simple. There are some exceptions. Some of the stuff in Leviticus, pretty complex, right? There are some exceptions to this rule. But usually, the more detailed and complex instructions only come after the simple ones. That makes sense? The simple ones still proceed. If you haven't done the simple ones, God wouldn't give you the complex anyway. We say this in Hebrews, that the milk of the word is then followed by the meat of the word. Amen. So the complex, it's harder to break down, comes after the simple, but you have to first follow the simple things. 
Now, to be sure, God's simple instructions are not necessarily easy. Those are two different things, right? Simple, not necessarily easy. You know, if I said, hey, just climb the face of that mountain, and you've never done rock climbing. Simple request, not easy if you've ever done it, right? Different thing. The words of Jesus, for example, take up your cross and follow me. That's a very simple instruction. Do you think it's easy? No. He, says, he said you would have tribulation. It would be hard. Simple instructions, but not easy to do, although we're, we're called to do it. Uh, which is in part why Jonah fled from uh, God's instructions the first time. But nonetheless, what the Lord instructed was straightforward and it was simple. What it wasn't, get this, this is what it was not. It was not optional. Simple, straightforward, but it was not optional. From the very beginning, God kept things simple. Remember the simple instructions given to Adam and Eve? Don't eat from a thousand trees. One tree. Don't eat from one tree. That's pretty simple, isn't it? You can go all over, but that tree right there, you can't go near it. Couldn't be any simpler than that, could it? Just don't eat from that one tree. Abraham was given very simple instructions. Arise, start moving, and as you start moving, I'll show you the land you're supposed to get to as you get there. Simple instructions. And just get up and start moving in that direction. Moses and Israel, they were given ten commandments, right? Not ten thousand, just ten. And Jesus said that they were really built on only what? Two. Love God above everything else and love your neighbor as yourself. So even, even the ten are on the simplicity of the two. But the simple instructions of God and our response to them is the prerequisite to walking in the will of God, under the blessing of God, and experiencing the power of God. In other words, we're not going to follow the simple things. We won't experience the power of God. The first time around, Jonah walked away from the will of God. Go back to chapter 1 for just a second. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So that's the first time. This is, is reference here is the second time. The first time around, Jonah walked away from the will of God. You can go back to chapter 3. He then, after rejecting or walking away from the will of God, he came under the corrective discipline of God, and experienced the power of God, well, in a way that was not flowing through him, but actually upon him. Amen? <laughs> so he did find the power of God. You know, when God actually stirs up a storm that is massive, he did experience the power of God. He even recognized it was from God. But it wasn't the anointing power that he was hoping for. It was God's corrective power. And everyone saw it. The sailors saw it. God still used it for good. Some of them came to faith. And so now, for a second time, it tells us this second time, verse 1, God gives his servant Jonah these very simple, very clear instructions. Arise. Here it is again. Verse 2. Arise. Go to Nineveh. Now, God doesn't change his mind, by the way. You ever notice this? You think that, all right, if I, if I don't do it the first time, 
maybe God will change his mind. Nope. He's not going to change his mind. He's going to change our mind. He's not going to change his mind. Arise now for the second time. God gives his servant Jonah these very clear, simple instructions. Start moving towards Nineveh. And I'll give you the message to share. He says, uh, and preach to it the message that I tell you. In our own life, what are some simple instructions that Christ has given that you're still avoiding and resisting? Maybe some simple things that God said. I've, I've said this a hundred times in the Word. Very simple things maybe you, you might still be avoiding in your life. If we belong to him, he's not going to forget what he's instructed. He's going to come back to it again and again, various ways. God will never be like the parent that gives instructions and then gets distracted. This ever happened to parents? You gave instructions, but they didn't... But before they had a chance to get distracted, you got distracted. And then you forgot all about it. And they are loving that you forgot. They're like, Mom and Dad completely forgot about this. And someone called, and there's bigger fish to fry, and so you completely forget. God, that never happens to God. He never has a moment where he's like, well, what did I tell Tim to do? I cannot remember. I got distracted. doesn't happen. He won't forget what he's instructed. No, he'll stay on us and orchestrate our circumstances until we say, yes, Lord. If we belong to him, whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. If we belong to him, he will make sure we get to the place that we say, yes, Lord. We cannot move from where we're at until we pass the simple test of obedience that he's already put in front of us. If we don't pass... We'll keep taking the class again and again and again. Really, many believers are miserably, many believers, in, the, in, in the, I believe, in the body of Christ, are miserably in perpetual summer school. <laughs> refusing the basic instructions of being daily in the Word of God, talking to Him in prayer, giving thanks when even they don't feel like giving thanks, being a light, gathering as the family of God like we are tonight and we'll do on Sunday, and worship. Those are pretty simple things, aren't they? But most, most of the body of Christ is not doing even that simple little list. It's not a, not a hard thing. We've gotten away from it. I, I uh, tweeted out recently a LifeWay study the average uh, church-going family goes 1.6 times a month now. You know, God said, I want at least one full day of the week belongs to me. And so we chip away at these things, and these are the simple things that God said, these are the things that I've asked you to do. Charles Spurgeon said, he being Jesus will reign over you either by your consent or without it. Either by your consent or without it. And Jonah found that out. He's like, I'm going to be in charge, Jonah, either by consent, all right, Lord, I'll go, or put you in the fish until you're ready. I love 2 Chronicles 17.4. Uh, it said, but, uh, but sought the Lord his father and walked, the, the passage, sought the Lord his father and walked in his commandments, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. 
God wants us to not only obey the simple things, but to take delight in it. And so now, whether in full delight or not, either way, we're not really told exactly where Jonah's heart is right now, but he is saying, yes, Lord, I'll go. We're not given a whole lot of, was he smiling? Was he like, I cannot wait to get to Nineveh now? It's going to be a lot of fun. But he's ready to go. Wisely follows the simple instructions, and we see the extremely concise message that he preaches. If you're taking notes, let's take a look at this message uh, that he uh, shares. I could preach this message and get off the stage in a matter of uh, minutes, seconds, actually. Um, now, before we look at the simplicity and the severity of Jonah's message, the city he enters, Nineveh, was anything but a simple place. Are you guys familiar with Nineveh as an ancient city? Have you ever done any study on it? Well, you, good news. I'm going to give you a little background of Nineveh tonight. <laughs> I'm going to go back to college for just a second here, but I'll uh, give you a little background. This city he entered, uh, very complex, not a simple city. Uh, Nineveh was without question one of the most impressive and awe-inspiring cities in world history. And for a long time, uh, archaeologists didn't even believe it existed. They thought the Bible was way off and there really wasn't a Nineveh and it probably didn't exist anyway. Uh, the Greek historian uh, Siculus uh, tells us that Nineveh was close to 60 miles in circumference. Maybe, and even with historians telling about it, some people thought, well, maybe it was still a myth or a legend, and you know, there was just debate. But 60 miles in circumference, you think about it, that's a huge area. Take a circle and go 60 miles around. With the walls of the city being 100 feet tall. Thick enough for three chariots to ride side by side by side, abreast, on top of the walls. 100 feet tall for 60 miles in circumference. With 1,500 towers spaced on the perimeter, each tower being 200 feet in height, so archers could actually fire away at anybody coming from a long distance. This was the definition of impregnable. Again, the Greek historian Siculus tells us this. But it was also an ingenious city, a practical city, a palatial city, complete with aqueducts to bring fresh water in. It had canals throughout the city, had city parks, gardens, temples, residential communities, entertainment, commerce, more. All of this was in the ancient city of Nineveh, very impressive. Was the world's largest city for at least 50 years, population-wise. Nineveh's royal library, um, contained more than 22,000 tablets of ri uh, records, writings, and literature. And the Assyrians, they kept meticulous records, uh, which was mostly discovered and unearthed later in the mid-1800s. This is when most of Nineveh's ruins were finally found, and they were amazed when they found that because they had burned the city, it actually created a hearth shell over top of the library, preserving it all which only verified tons of things in the Bible. People were like, wow, the Bible's right again. <laughs> again and again. But the Assyrian Empire and its crown jewel of Nineveh was built on a foundation of blood, greed, pride, rampant immorality, 
and total idolatry. This was, this was the heartbeat of the city. Like our own nation, sophisticated and advanced, but with brutality and immorality rampant. You think about our own country, 3,657 abortions, legal murder daily in our country, on average. That's an average. We have about an average of 43 homicides a day in America, on, on top of the 3,657 abortions, which God would look at the same. According to WebRoot, 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. 40 million regularly. Uh, we could cite a host of other sins and social issues uh, the rest of the evening. We could just keep reading statistics. I don't have time to do that, and I'm not here to do that. But I'm just giving you just a little bit of an idea of what's going on. So if Nineveh's wickedness had gone up before God, as the scriptures say in verse 1 of chapter 1, wouldn't you say ours have gone up to God? Well, yeah, his eyes are to and fro. He knows every single, he knows the, the thoughts that people are having, much less all the data points that we can actually track and see. Not to mention our history, right? We've got a lot of history, too. There's racism, slavery, all, all of the sins have piled up for centuries, or, or not centuries, but at least decades. We don't have, you know, when you go to Israel and you tell them, hey, we're over 200 years old, they go, you're a cute nation, you know, you're, you're with, your, with your little 200-year history or something like that, you know. So, because, uh, you know, places like China and Israel have, you know, thousand-plus years and well beyond. But, uh, but again... Whether it's our history or what's currently going on, our wickedness has gone up before the Lord. But for Assyria and Nineveh, again, Assyria is the empire, uh, it was the conquest led by the Assyrian kings that enriched the empire and the city. Brutality and cruelty was an Assyrian trademark. It, it, they were known for being especially brutal. Vile. Assyria ruled the Middle East and beyond for 300 years, an entire area. Fear was a strong motivator to ensure that conquered people became loyal and subservient. Let's take a look at the map here. You get an idea of how big the area was. They, uh, they actually conquered, uh, for years, everyone thought Egypt was unconquerable, and Assyria finally overcame the Egyptian pharaohs and took that area as well. And they did it like, I, I, it was a very short period of time, I want to say it was like 25 days, they moved straight down uh, through Egypt. But they had all that area that you can see um, in the Levant and across Mesopotamia, all the way up into Turkey, uh, what would be some of the um, uh, countries formerly of the Soviet Union up in, up in that area, Iran, Iraq. Uh, so a lot of landmass that they had taken over. And all this was done through brutal war campaigns and just coming into and just leveling and devastating people. Asher Napazal, uh, let me make sure I get his right name. Asher Nazarpal II, I don't have to say his name but once, thankfully, uh, describing one of his conquests and the defeat of his victims, he said this. Now, the reason we know this is because all of this was found in the libraries and they recorded on reliefs, like one palace relief, one palace relief of one of the kings was two miles long, a palace relief. Now, it, it would go not in single length, but at, around. But they also say the palace reliefs, which were uh, just, you know, renderings up on, but they also had, up on the walls, but they also had the um, records that were on 
these little block looking things and they, they were all the way around it. And so we can read today and know what was said because they kept these meticulous records that I mentioned earlier. So he said this, uh, this is one of their early kings. He said, I carried away their possessions. Um, oh, let me go, uh, that's a different one. He said, I, uh, this is back to the first uh, one that I mentioned. I hung their heads on trees around the city. In other descriptions, he boasts of flaying alive all the chief and nobles of one conquest, flaying them all alive. Also impaling many, this is his own words, burning many with fire, cutting off the noses and ears of many, putting out the eyes of many. Many of these became works of art and memorials on the reliefs. They actually recorded all this as memorials to these conquests. Assyria was notorious for its use of torture. And they devastated the fields and orchards of country. They would just wipe out, just burn all the orchards so there would be no food supply uh, for a place that they would attack. Tiglath uh, Pilasar I, he claimed to have conquered 42 kings and peoples. And he wrote, I carried away their possessions, burned their cities with fire, demanded from their hostages tribute and contributions, and laid on them the heavy yoke of my rule. You don't, want to be, you don't want to be overrun by the Assyrians. Some of, these, some of Assyria's atrocities are really too much for me to read in this setting. I, 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 some of my flat out could not read to you uh, in this setting tonight. Now Jonah, he was from Israel's northern kingdom. Now, if you look at the Israel map here, you've got Israel. He was from the northern part, which we would now call Galilee. He was from the Galilee area. Those of you that went to Israel with us, that's where he was from. Uh, which is, we talked about that several studies ago, that uh, when they said no prophet has ever arisen from Galilee, Jesus had to be like, check your Bibles. Jonah was from Galilee, and my ministry and his are very similar. They're going to have a three-day, you know, in darkness up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we have this kind of pattern. But nevertheless, Jonah was from the northern uh, area of Israel, the northern kingdom, after, the, uh, after you know, Solomon, the kingdom broke in two, and you had the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom, which would later fall. The northern kingdom hadn't fallen yet. At this point, the northern, when Jonah is alive uh, and sent to Nineveh, the northern kingdom has not been um, overrun and invaded yet by Assyria, but that's coming. And they would later fall very brutally. But in Jonah's lifetime... The dark impending shadows, so in other words, they hadn't taken over all of this land. This is the height of the empire. All of this hadn't been uh, overtaken just yet. But the dark impending shadow of Assyria was falling on Israel, and it was starting to fall on every other nation. People were getting petrified that someday soon Assyria is going to attack us. Kind of the way that people were in Europe were thinking when Adolf Hitler was kind of... It, Hit Poland, and then you know, go down to the you know go down to hit Yugoslavia, or uh, then France is coming next, and people were petrified that their country was next on the list. Same thing. The fear and the dread of Assyria would continue all the way to the days of Hezekiah and Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, when they were clinging to stand because he took uh, the, the the nation of, or the Assyrian Empire actually did take most of Judah, but they never took Jerusalem uh, by God's grace. That would come later from Babylon. But King Sennacherib described the tribute that he received from King Hezekiah, who was trying to make nice with the Assyrians. 
And it's said of this, listen, we have an actual record of what uh, Hezekiah sent to the king of Assyria because they documented it. He sent a convoy after me to Nineveh, my royal city, with 30 talents of gold, 800 talents of silver, jewels, uh, antimony, couches of ivory, easy chairs. How about that? Easy chairs inlaid with, easy chairs inlaid with ivory, elephant's hides, elephant's tusks, all kinds of valuable treasures, and his daughters, his harem, and his male and female singers. All that was sent over by Hezekiah as a, please don't, don't attack us. Don't come after us. From our human perspective, not God's, which is full of manifold grace, you can understand why Jonah was so reluctant to preach to Nineveh. Can you understand why he didn't want to preach to them? He loathed them. Israel loathed them, and Jonah thought their vile deeds needed judgment. Jonah said, they need, they need the fire of God to fall on them. They need old Sodom and Gomorrah kind of action. But God didn't want Jonah's opinion. God never really asked for you and I what we think. Do you know that? He never said, what do you think I should do with Nineveh? He's never said, what do you think I should do with Las Vegas? He calls itself Sin City. What, what, what should I do? He wanted, instead of Jonah's opinion, he wanted his full surrender and obedience. That's what he wanted. To be his vessel and to be his voice. And just as God had done the first time, he gave Jonah the exact same repeat directions. You read verse 1 with us a few minutes ago. Same directions with one little change. I don't know if you caught it. One little change. Arise and go, but this time, because in chapter 1, he says, and you don't have to turn there, but he says, arise and go and cry out against the city. This time he says, arise and go, this one little change, and I'll give you the message when you get there. I think this is actually part of God's grace. And he does this with you and I. Let me explain. God really understands our weak nature. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in your mind you think, uh, if I ask you, you, are you weaker than you used to think you were? Uh, have you come to the realization now that I'm actually pretty weak? And you, you, know, you know when you were younger, when I was 16, I thought, my wife can attest to, if she met me when I was uh, 19, um, I remember the first time I went snow skiing, and all, you know, I was in college, and I was in high school in Florida. We went up snow skiing, and all my friends took ski lessons. I said, I do not need lessons. <laughs> that is for wimps. We used that word back then. I'm not taking lessons. Just give me the poles, give me the skis, show me the hill. I do not. And I'm flying down, except I didn't know one thing. I didn't know how to stop. It's like... I'm hauling, and I'm riding. I'm just going past people. I'm like, these people are so slow, so lame. I'm like whizzing past. I'm like, hold on. How do I stop? <laughs> I ended up like doing like, I don't know how many somersaults. People up on the lift were laughing like crazy. But, um, you know, but after a while, you come to realize that, hey, I, I, I'm not so strong. I actually am weaker than, than I think. But God understands your weak nature and mine. And knowing Jonah may still think about this, knowing Jonah may still fixate on the message, he tells him this time just to go. He says, I'm not going to let you, because I know if I tell you the message, you'll the whole time worry about it. 
So I'm not going to tell you the message. This time, just go, think about something else, and when you get there, I'll tell you. Isn't that interesting? This time, God says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you the message. You'll get it when you get there. Because last time you thought about it so much, you went and tried to go to Tarshish. I get it. You'll get it. God understands. Brothers and sisters, God will help you get to where you need to go and what to do when you get there. Do you believe that? God will help you get to where you need to go and what you need to do when you get there. We just have to be willing to go. Some of you already, right now, in late 2019, God's calling you to go to Guatemala next summer. Maybe you thought about it for three or four years. Finally time, God said, finally time for you to go. Don't worry about, oh, I don't know, I found the money. I don't, just, just go. Some of you want to go to India, and there's that opportunities coming. Uh, you know, we've got some options there. Jonathan's going to be here soon, and um, Lee and Zach would love to have you come. I mean, just things like that. Or, or we, have, we have a whole uh, bunch of men. We're going to do a men's night, right, Trevor? We're going to do a men's night at Bon Air. God's been telling a lot of people, at least go twice a year. Take your guest pass at least. And go minister to these that are incarcerated. Um, these are opportunities where God says, it's just time to go. Be willing to go. Just be willing. And so Jonah arrives, and by the way, some scholars have proposed that perhaps Jonah's bleached skin, some, some believe, we don't know this to be, but some believe that you know, being in the belly of a whale, he would have had all kinds of acidic, just kind of bleached look to him from the whale's acid. Uh, that it, some scholars have proposed that in, in Nineveh they might have thought he was an angel or someone sent by the gods. It's just that he looked so bizarre that in their t styles of worship, think that he was sent by the gods or something that was so unlike anything they had ever seen before. And we don't know this to be fact. I'm just saying that, that some scholars have proposed this. But whether they thought that or not, the living God made him, what I've called over the years, a protected prophet. And sometimes when I'm praying for the persecuted church, I'm like, Lord, make some protected prophets like you did for Jonah in the middle of North Korea, where they couldn't, they couldn't touch them if they wanted to kind of thing. You know? Because God sends them in. I mean, he should be, you, you, I just read you a tiny snippet of the brutality of the Syrians, and this is where he has to walk straight in and start preaching, and it's not an easy message. Simple, just not easy. If God intends you, and if God intends to use you, nothing can stop you. Amen? If God intends to send you and use you, nothing can stop you. In Romans 8.31, Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that great? Dr. Russ gave that... Uh, update on what's going on in the church in China in our prayer night last Wednesday. And if, if God be for them, the Chinese government really can't stop them. And uh, There'll be times when the persecution's heavy, but on the other hand, God could turn the tables in a moment. But as he goes to Nineveh, now it says in our text that it was a three-day journey in verse 3, in extent. It's either... If you've ever read that, you say, what, what does that mean, you know, a three-day journey? Well, I told you the city was 60 miles in circumference. So if you do the math, those of you that are math-minded, 
uh, think about the circumference, um, it's about 17 to 20 miles a day just to, if you're walking the inside perimeter of it, the inside perimeter, um, it's, two par it's like a parallelogram, uh, the shape of the city. And so you'd have this um, 17 to 20 miles a day just to walk the inside perimeter, or it would have been three days, and again, this is scholars looking at it, if he had to go up and down all the city streets to the main thoroughfares and shout this message. But at any rate, the Bible is right. It easily would have taken three full days to pull this off, to kind of make sure everybody got this simple but direct message. And here's what it is, this simple message. Yet 40 days, and then of us shall be overthrown. Jonah gets it. I don't know how soon he's to the, you know, there's multiple city gates. I don't know which gate he enters, but he gets the message. God says, all right, you made it. Here's the message. Yet 40 days, and you're going down. Kind of using our language here. 40 days and you're going down. Overthrown. It's the same Hebrew word that was used for the overthrow of Sodom. Same Hebrew word. Um, this might have seemed preposterous uh, as anyone in Nineveh would think, how in the world could our city, the largest city, I don't know, what, at what point in the empire... It was the largest city in the world, but nevertheless, it's this massive, impregnable city for them to think, how in the world are we going to be taken out in 40 days? Kind of the way that people looked at the temple when Jesus said, every stone will be unturned. They're like, what? I, I don't see it. How would an entire people, uniform of thought, uniform in their sins, uh, their beliefs, their arrogance and success, how would they all react? to this guy walking up and down the streets or around the perimeter city shouting. Imagine if God literally, I mean literally, in our lifetime, right now, 2019, imagine if God literally raised up a prophet right now in our lifetime and sent the exact same message to New York City, yet 40 days and the city will be overthrown. I mean, I'm talking literally if, the, if this person was sent from God, not some person that's just kind of, you know, there's, there's people in New York that preach all kinds of things, right? But, uh, and Chicago, and, you know, I'm saying literally if God really did handpick somebody and sent them and it was true, or Paris, you know how people would react. They would laugh or mock, wouldn't they? They would all say, we've heard your street preachers before. Nothing's happening. But how would Nineveh respond? How would they respond? In a word, correctly. And equally important, sincerely. Let's take a look at their response. The title is Sincere Response. The key to this astounding response, take a look at it in verse uh, 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, and you see in verse 6 that the king, all the way down, he said, all the animals can't drink, put sackcloth on ashes on them too. The key to the astounding response of Nineveh, right there at the beginning of verse 6, so the people of Nineveh believed. What's the centrality of coming to saving faith? You have to believe what Jesus says. Amen? Uh, just this Sunday, Pastor Rodney did a great job of John 3.16, right? Believe is the central component of our response, the central component of God's is so he, that he loves, right? 
But ours is to believe. They believe the message. Looking past Jonah, whoever they thought he was, because he doesn't mention anything about God. He just says, 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. By the way, when God anoints a, a message, it's anointed no matter how. It, it can be delivered with a deep southern drawl or a Boston accent or you know some other language. It doesn't matter. But if God anoints it, Peter gets up and everyone hears it in their language. That, wasn't that amazing, right? Gets up on Pentecost, he starts preaching. Everyone hears it in their language. When God anoints it, everyone's going to hear it the way God wants them to hear it. And looking past Jonah, they believed and knew the message was from God. They knew it was from God. Because it says, and they believed who? Verse 6, God. Doesn't say they believed Jonah, does it? Perhaps Jonah had a Hebrew accent, and they knew the God of the Hebrews. They would have known him. By the way, the ancient world was much more connected than we believe. I don't know. I've watched so many documentaries. I really believe that the Phoenicians had made it all the way to Central America. And uh, world knowledge was at one time very, very advanced. And then you went through the Dark Ages and things like that. And everything had to be rebuilt up. But there was a time when, you know, when Solomon was sitting on the throne, I'm, I'm confident Solomon knew about civilizations in the Americas. Just, just my personal belief. I believe that the, the, the world knowledge base was at different times, and it would, it would go out, and it would crumble again, and it would be rebuilt up over different periods. But they would have known for certain the God of Israel. So whether they heard his accent or whatever it was, we don't know. But the key to responding correctly is first to what? Believe. They had to believe. Because just because he says it, doesn't mean they are going to believe it. You've presented truth to people before and they not believe. Amen? I have. Lots of times. The key to responding to the gospel, first believe. And any response that begins with something like, let's say you present the gospel to somebody, and if their response begins with something like this, you know they're not believing. Well, that's your interpretation. You ever heard that one? That you can tell it's not being received well. Or if it's something like this, the God I believe in, you ever get that response? The God I believe in wouldn't say that, wouldn't do that, wouldn't overthrow us in 40 days. Same problem. Or how about this one? Well, the scriptures can't really be trusted. Another response. These are ones that you know they're not believing the message. How about this one? There's so many hypocrites in the church. Well, that's going to... You just make sure you carry that certificate when you stand before God. That, that's the one you're going to carry? Okay. These are the different ones you're going to use. Okay. How about this one? Nobody's perfect. Right? These are answers. But they didn't, at, they didn't give any of these things to God, these kind of platitudes. They got on their face, didn't they? Unbelief has a long list of perpetually used excuses and denials. Believing God's word is essential to faith. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted in him, what? As righteousness, belief. And essential to repentance. In John 3.18, this is Jesus speaking. He who believes, 
Remember, uh, just Sunday, Pastor Rodney was in John 3, 16. This is two verses later. John 3, 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. To not believe is to not repent. To not believe is to not repent. Jonah did not preach Christ or the gospel. You guys saw the text. He does not mention Jesus. They don't even know who Messiah is going to be yet. They just know Messiah. I mean, I'm talking about guys like Jonah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They know Messiah's company, but they didn't know what his name would be. He doesn't mention the name of Yeshua or Jesus. He doesn't mention Messiah. He doesn't even mention God. He doesn't preach the gospel as we would understand it. But he preached what? The truth that God gave him. So anytime you give, if God says, this is your message, 40 days you'll be overthrown, when you give that, you're giving the literal word of God. That's what prophets did. They respoke what God gave them. So it has the same effect. If it's really the word of God, it brings what? Conviction, which can bring about the necessary humbling, or it can be delayed or later forgotten. Because I've, I've, I've seen people under heavy conviction. You ever seen someone under heavy conviction? And heavy, heavy conviction, they say, I'm just not ready yet. Right? They're so close. Even Jesus said to someone, and he said, you're so close to the kingdom. But they can delay it and forget it. But in the case of Nineveh, the most improbable, amazing evangelistic crusade with no posters advertising that it was coming. He just strolls in. It didn't say, Harvest Crusade, these three days. And bands like Skillet and uh, DC Talk and all this stuff. None of that stuff. He just walks in with this basic, not good message either. 40 days and you're all going to be gone. All right, so that's what I got to say. Next street. 40 days and you're going to be gone. Next street. 40 days and you all will be out of here. 40 days and I'll be out of here too. And I can't wait to get out of here. 40 days and you all will be out of here. And he's just saying it same everywhere he goes. They don't believe intellectually and say a sinner's prayer with no contrition, no commitment, and no changes. We see a lot of that in our altar calls in this country. No, no contrition, no commitment, no change. That's not really belief. Pastor Rodney did a great job. If you didn't get a chance to hear the message, go back and listen. He talked specifically about that. What takes place here is a heart change. From the highest to the lowest in the city, from the king all the way down, they begin to fast and pray. And most Christians don't fast and pray until after they've got, come to Christ. This was their entry point. They begin to fast and pray for God's what? His mercy. They say, who can tell if God will relent, uh, was their words. And they don't stop doing, uh, they don't continue to do uh, what God calls evil. They stop all the sins. And no one had to give them a list of sins. You, ever when you, when you remember when you got saved, no one had to start to, I remember one of the first things I've told many times. I immediately knew I could not keep cussing. No one had to tell me that there's verses about it. There are verses about it, but no one had to tell me that. And I, one of the biggest indictments to our country is, is our nation curses infinitely more than 50 years ago. Just read Twitter. About every third comment 
is somebody's cursing, and not just any curse words, the worst they can possibly spew out. And our country's become very vile, like a sword coming out of every tongue, which the book of James says you, you might as well just use a real sword. In a sense, I mean, it's just saying that it's just vile, it's evil. But they stop doing the evil things. Everyone uh, turns away. Verse 9, who can tell if God will relent? And, but before that, everyone turn away from their violence that's in their hands, or anything that's in their hands, any immorality that's in their hands, any of the sins. Didn't matter anymore if society had condoned it and applauded it for years. They didn't care. They're like, we don't care if it's been okay forever. We need to stop it immediately. Wouldn't that be great for our country? Things that we've been condoning for eons or the last 12 years, the last 10 years, and getting worse, that everyone says, we've got to stop immediately. They knew these things were abominations to God. They knew it, and Jonah didn't even enumerate them. He didn't say, and this sin, and this sin, and make sure it's that sin. And that. He didn't say anything like that. The Holy Spirit fell on the city, the whole city. Nobody had to enumerate all these things. The conviction of God fell, and they fell on their faces. This Brothers and sisters, is what revival looks like. This is revival. You can't make revival. You can pray for it, but you can't make it happen. It has to be a work of God. And the judgment of God seemed deserving and reasonable, as it always is reasonable. They thought it was reasonable. They said, who can tell if he'll turn? They didn't think that that was what mean God would do. They did not say that. They said, who can tell if he'll basically spare us? And they thought that they shouldn't be spared. The revival and repentance of Nineveh was far greater in magnitude to the greatness of the sin city, uh, of, of the sin that was there. Does that make sense? The greatness of the revival was far greater than the sin. The Bible says where sin abound, what? Grace more abounds. The grace was greater. Greater than its fame. Greater than its barbaric history. Greater than its pride. Greater than its multitude of sins. But how would God respond? This is where we close. How would God respond Verse 10, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and did he did not do it. How does God respond? With amazing grace, just like he did for John Newton, the former slave trader. With amazing grace, with a saving grace. The city was saved from being utterly obliterated from God. It amazes me when people mock God like he couldn't, in a second, take our whole country out. Right? Jesus said, when he's going on the cross, he goes, what do you, you don't understand I can call 10,000 angels if I want to? One angel took out 185,000 Assyrians of all people. But they had this one opportunity for repentance, and guess what? They wisely took it. They had one chance. This was their only chance, and they took it, and they found grace. The scriptures tell us, and, uh, tell us about God in 2 Peter 3.9, long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. So God always stands ready to forgive. That's the message of the gospel. But again, there must be repentance. They turn from these things. They did a 180. What, um, it's not lip service that will profit nothing. It has to be a heart rending that produces a genuine turning. It has to be a real heart change. 
Notice it's their works. Verse 10 says, and God saw their works. Now, uh, their works are not that they work for their salvation. It's the contract, repentant actions, and it's that issue of the heart that God could see. No, no, this is genuine. This is a real turning. This is their response. It's not flipping words. They immediately put down the violence. They put down the idols. They walk away from the temples. All of these things, they, they do what they know God would ask of them. Noah had preached about 1,600 years earlier a very similar message. And the whole world rejected it. Didn't. The whole world. But they turned. This city turned. In Genesis 6, 8, the first time the word grace is ever mentioned in the Bible, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. In the face of a defiant world, Noah found grace. Noah's obedience, which is genuine belief, proved he was dependent on God for grace and mercy. Even Jesus, when he was preaching and presenting the gospel, would later cite Nineveh. Did you know Jesus in his ministry would cite this story? He would later say, let me tell you about Nineveh. Jesus. He would cite Nineveh as a proof of the grace of God and also the severity of God's judgment if his grace is rejected. Because as, as uh, uh, Rodney did on Sunday, Jesus taught a lot about hell, a lot about judgment. In Matthew 12, 41, Jesus says these words, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said, there, my forerunner from Galilee was Jonah. Now I'm here. He preached and everyone repented. I'm preaching, you're not repenting. He said, so someday, because they're now in heaven with the Father, they'll rise up in judgment with me on this generation because you heard and rejected and they heard and believed. Jonah preached this simple message, 40 days and then it will be overturned. Jesus preached this simple message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. After he came out of the wilderness, that's what he preached. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand after he had fasted for 40 days. The underpinning of both is that the grace of God is extended or will be extended if we listen and turn. If we listen and turn. But if someone says, well, I don't know about the interpretation of the Bible. I'm glad you found a crutch you can lean on. Right? All these different things, right? That's not turning. But the power of both the simple message of Jesus, the simple message of Jonah, the power comes from God. Amen? The power comes from God. It's not you and I. We don't have to work so hard to say, if I could craft just the right message for this person. Just pray and present it. But what if they don't receive it? How do you know? Unless we try, amen? Jonah, we're going to get to next week. He didn't really even want them to respond well, but they do. So what are we to do? Well, we're to pray. We're to simply obey. We're to simply share what God's given us. And simply by faith expect God to use the message and even us in the process. We never know when a Jonah moment, moment might happen. You might not have a whole city, but you might have a person. But finally, you say, wow, you actually, you're actually listening to this? You'll be surprised yourself sometime. 
But we know with God, all people are reachable. Isn't that great to know? All people are reachable. We would be, do well to pray more that you know, God opens the ears of people that maybe seem in the most vile of positions, if you will, and pray for them. Sam had preached uh, Romans 1.16. I'll close with that. You know, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, right? To the Ninevite, as well as to the American citizen that's still kind of hard and proud. God says, just share the gospel and let me take care of the rest. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you that your word has power we don't understand. But we can look and we believe that what took place in Nineveh happened exactly the way you describe it. And Lord, if we could have seen what, what Jonah saw, Lord, we'd be blown away that you could take an entire city, thousands of people, and at one time convince them all that they must repent. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would believe the gospel enough to reshare it to present it, to proclaim it to a lost and dying world around us. Lord, we pray that you prepare the hearts of those that we would present it to. Lord, what you've asked of Jonah, you're still asking of us. As Jesus, you said, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all men. Lord, we pray that in these last uh, three months of this year, we'll grow as disciples, that we can make disciples. And Lord, you would prepare even a harvest uh, in this last quarter of the year, coming up to the holidays and Thanksgiving and Christmas, Lord, that we would boldly present Jesus and let the message convict hearts. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.